All right, we're going to do this. I'm uh, incredibly grateful for the Lord that He never lets me do anything organized, because every time I get something ready, He blows it up, and what I mean by that is He has full permission to say whatever He wants, and so I was hoping to have an hour today, I'm kidding, but I... I do have probably eight hours worth of stuff, so, um, but I, I just want to talk to you for a minute. I just want to tell you we're not out of harvest season. We're right in the middle of it. It's actually the beginning. It's the beginning of when the Lord is declaring something. You have to realize that the Lord is always declaring something before we see it in the natural. That is spiritual principle number one about the prophetic. God is seeing something that we're not. And when he is declaring, hey, it's harvest time, it's harvest season, he's actually looking for a people of faith who will take hold of it and say, wait, wait. God's saying different than something we see. And faith is hope for what we don't see yet. And he's saying, I need a people of faith to take hold of this. So we've been talking a lot about harvest, how it's the season of harvest, that God wants to win a nation and a world. And if that bothers you, then I just want to tell you that we're probably not your place. Because I'm believing for something more than just this, this place to be full. I'm believing for that. I'm believing that we can't hold back what God wants to do. We have more prophetic words about not enough parking spaces and not enough seats. But I want to tell you that's not the end result of what we're believing for. We're believing for like regional transformation. Where what's it look like for an entire region to have an encounter with God and be transformed? What's it look like? For no homelessness. What's it look like for no abuse in the homes? What's it look like for the public schools to be so radically impacted that they're actually not only just teaching, but they're healing families? What's it look like for God to move in that way? And it takes harvest. Because God wants to do it, but He's looking for laborers. He's looking for laborers. He's like, I'm not doing, I'm not doing revival and reformation without you. I just want to remind you, He will not do revival and reformation without us. So we can pray all day long, like, God, send revival. I did, I sent Jesus. I sent Jesus, and now I'm looking for co-laborers who will be Jesus on earth and go do the stuff. And so I, I just feel like there's so much harvest around it, and I'm just telling you, if, don't get tired of it because we're not going to stop talking about it. Because it's, it's the heart of God. And I'm just going to remind you, a harassed and helpless nation, Jesus said the answer to that was harvest. Not declaration, not prayer, even though I love those things. He said the answer for a harassed and helpless people in Jerusalem was harvest. He said we have to have a harvest among them so that they'll truly be impacted so that they can change and be transformed. And so I just want to remind you that this is God's heart. Amen? And so, but I want to shift just a tiny bit because in the very beginning we, we had this word that the Lord told us we're, you're in a season of mending nets. We're mending nets. We're mending our personal nets. We're mending corporate nets. We're mending. Why? Because if the harvest comes, we want to be able to catch the fish. And it talks about the disciples in Matthew 4 when he says, hey, come follow me. What were they doing? They were mending their nets. And God is looking for a people who will be so mended up that when he sends fish, you can't help but catch them. Like, 
when I was a kid, we used to put out this gill net. I don't know if any of you know what that is, but we lived in Florida, and we would build this big circle, and then it was super cool. Then I just got to go in the middle and play and swim and splash as much as possible, and the fish swam into the net. And I felt like the Lord's been showing me a picture of that in our lives. He's saying, I want you to mend your nets and put them out, and I'm going to begin to release so much revelation that sticks in your net that it's going to be like a harvest for you personally. There's a harvest that He's wanting to do in you personally, and if you don't believe that, and we know this in Hebrews 12, He says, hey, I'm, I'm looking for correction and disciplining you so that it will reap a harvest of righteousness in your life. What's He doing? He's always producing harvest in our lives. And so we have to recognize that. And, and then this crazy thought began to come to me. I was thinking about harvest, and I was thinking about how do we participate in harvest with God personally. And then I got to thinking about the season. I got to be thinking about Thanksgiving. I got to thinking about harvest tables. I got to thinking about like the spread, right? 20, 18 years ago, I heard Scott preach on Babette's Feast and this incredible table. How many of you watch The Crown? When they go in there and they, they set the table and it's like, all these seats, and then it, here it comes. All this lavish food. And I begin to think about this, like God has a harvest in our lives, but are we feasting on it? Or is it just something we know about? Is it like, I mean, let's just use the basic one, the greatest one, salvation. Are we feasting on that every day? We're like, wait a minute, I've had an encounter with God that has totally set me free and brought me into the family. Sin has no power over me. Am I at the table feasting on that? Or is it just something I'm like, yeah, and that happened. And I feel like God is saying, hey, I'm inviting you to the table today. I'm inviting you to the table. And and if you're like, I need some scripture to know that, turn with me real quick. Because I promise you, we're not going anywhere that's not in the Word. I'm going to read Luke 22, 29, and 30. I'm going to major on 30 now because I'm going back to 29 later. It says, And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me. Just let that sink in. So that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom, and sit on the thrones and judges of the twelve tribes of Israel. So the context, he's talking to his disciples. And he's saying, hey, you've had three years of harvest, of the kingdom harvest in your life, but I want you to come to the table and sit with me. The whole goal of this is not to be a worker bee, it's to be at the king's table. The whole goal of this is not just to know your identity and never enter the room. I appreciate all the identity teaching, but I'm telling you, I believe this, if we're not careful, we'll know our identity but never go into the room to experience the Father who's always morphing and honing our identity in Him. And He's saying, hey, I'm calling you to this, and I want you to know I've got a table. I've got a table that's set for you. It's a feast. It's a harvest table. So whatever that looks like in your mind, for me, it was my grandma's house. My grandma and grandpa lived in Port Arthur, Texas, They had a formal dining. Anyone remember what those were? It was this room with two pocket doors on each end, and you didn't dare go in there if it wasn't time to eat. I remember it was like holy ground. I remember one time she sent me in there to get something, and I was like, 
am I allowed in here? It's like August, you know, like, because I only remembered Thanksgiving and Christmas in that room. But let me tell you what would happen in that room. Well, first of all, when you were little, you didn't get to go in that room because you didn't fit. Anyone remember the kids' table? Like, the kids' table is like shame. It's like, hey, you're part of the family, but you don't fit in the room. And I want to tell you that I believe that the Lord wanted me to bring that up today because I believe there's a lot of people in here right now that literally are sitting at the kids' table. And when all this feast is being served in the other room, you've got Cheerios and goldfish. And you can't wait for dessert. And I remember that room, and I would go in there, and my grandma, she was about it, right? Like, she had fine china and silver and crystal. And, and you say, oh, were they rich? Well, they were abundant. What? I'm just saying, like, I, sometimes we're like, oh, we all, I know. My grandparents were wise in the Lord, and he blessed it. And so they had this fine table, and my dad had two brothers, so there were six of them, and my grandparents, so eight people got to sit in the big room. But as we got older, it was really weird. They added two seats, and it was ten. And then we alternated who got to go in those two seats. But I remember the first year I got to go in there. And we go in, and there's all this food. And, I mean, Grandma could do it. She's from East Texas, right, Bill? She knew how to set a table, right? And it was everything from venison to turkey and wild game and a bunch of weird stuff that not all of y'all would eat because they're from East Texas. And... (laughs) And we got in there, and it was like, again, I was like, I can't believe I'm invited to the table. And it was me and my cousin Jonathan. We're the same age, and we did everything together as family. And we got to go in that day. And then we noticed an amazing thing, that there was these envelopes on, on the plates. Not our plates, unfortunately. But the six plates all had an envelope. And I said, Dad, what are those? And he said, every time we come in here, your grandparents bless us. And it's a financial gift every time, every year it will be there. I said, how much is it? He goes, that's for me to know and you to find out. (laughs) What am I saying though? There's a place where God is inviting us to the big person table. And not as the grandkids, but as the kids. You you notice there's no grandkids in the kingdom, only kids. Why? Because the minute you come into the kingdom, you get invited to the big table. And we have to recognize that God is inviting us to a harvest feast to see the harvest in our life, experience it, and eat it. So I'm just going to do some real quick ones here. Here we go. Y'all ready? First one is this. How do we get to the table? Because I find that most people don't believe they deserve to be there. How do we get to the table? Yeah, Say yes. But I believe it's also belief. Because our yes comes out of belief, and there's a belief that, wait a minute, As father, as king, because I'm about to show you this is a kingly table. As king, he's invited us in to come and sit at this table and listen to what he says in Luke. This is still kind of blowing my mind. In Luke 22, 29, he says, I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me so that you'll eat and drink at my table. The word confer right there is a really interesting word because it means to give, partake, all these things. But the main thing it means is I have covenant with my Father and He's given me a kingdom. And now He has cut covenant with you and He's giving you a kingdom. 
We have to understand that the invitation to the table is based on the covenant that God has cut with man through Jesus. The covenant that God has cut with man through Jesus. I want to tell you the most important line right there is through Jesus. He didn't cut a covenant that you have to keep up your side. He said Jesus will do that for you. Now, will you sanctify? Will you grow? Will you be the people He's called you to be? Yes, but He's saying the covenant is based on what Jesus did. It got you in the family. It has been cut, and now I confer the same kingdom that's been given to me. I confer it on you. Say, well, what else you got? Well, that's it. That gets you to the table. That's that's the that's the key. It's understanding that, wait a minute, there's a covenant that God cut with man. And if you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, right now, you can stand up. We're going to pray for you. The minute you believe that He's your King and your God, you're in the family. But let me just give you a story. I'm going to read it real quick. I'm going to read 13 verses. It's long. Y'all can hang in there, okay? This is David. I just want you to picture him like the father. He's sitting in his throne room. He's become the king of Israel. Everything that God has promised him has come true. He's sitting in there. I want you to see like God sitting on his throne. And David said this. This is 2 Samuel 9.1. David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now we have to understand that Jonathan had cut covenant with David. The truth is, Jonathan's supposed to be in that room with David. David said, hey, you come and you'll be second in the kingdom. We'll join our families and we'll rule this thing together. But Jonathan, he he had one more connection to Saul and it was the last one he ever made. Because he was killed in battle. And 20 years down the road, David's sitting in there and you know what he's thinking about? Covenant. He's thinking about loving kindness. He's thinking about Jonathan. He's thinking about how much he loved Jonathan. He's thinking not some weird way that the world's tried to make it. Kingdom love. And he's sitting in there and he's, he's just saying, God, I want to keep some covenant. He says, hey, is there anyone in David's, in Saul's household I can keep covenant with? He calls in Ziba, the servant of Saul. He says, You're, and he says, Ziba, He said, the king asked, is there no one still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, he's in the house of Micar, son of Amiel, in Lodebar. So King David had him brought from Lodebar, from the house of Micar, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of David, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay honor to him. Now I just want you to catch this. David found someone to show his covenant keeping mercy to. Just like God found us. Just like, and he said, when Mephibosheth, son of David, the son of, oh, he paid, I read that. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied, don't be afraid. Why? Well, first of all, the enemy will always lie to us that covenant's not enough. The enemy will always lie to us that don't go in that room. That's the Holy of Holies. Grandma going to snatch you up. Grab you by the ear. Don't go in that room. That, you're not allowed in there. You sit at the kids' table. God says, oh, no, I've got covenant. And so the first thing he says to Mephibosheth is don't be afraid. 
And to paraphrase my dad, who I've heard preach on this a hundred times, no exaggeration, he said, hey, Mephibosheth, I'm about to show you kindness that you don't understand. But what you don't know is I love your daddy. And your daddy loved me. And we cut covenant together. And everything you're about to experience is because of your dad. And I want to tell you, everything I'm talking about today is because our dad. And because of the covenant he's made with us. And listen to what he says. He says, for I will surely show you kindness. And I don't have time to get into the word. That's hesed. That's covenant keeping mercy and grace. God never forgets his covenant. And he says, for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Now it's identity class time. David said, oh, you're no dead dog. You're the grandson of a king. The son of a prince. And you will always eat at my table. Because of covenant. And he had to get rid of that old dead dog thinking that I, I, I don't even deserve the kids' table. See, a lot of us think, I'll just take the scraps, that's enough. As long as I get to heaven. And that has kept the church so wounded in the last hundred years. Because God's not looking for kids' table attenders. He's looking for those who understand, i got to sit at the king's table. I get to go in there. Just like the disciples, I have an invitation to be at the table. Just so you can prove it. It says, Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will eat at my table. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever the Lord commanded. And so Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. See, we have to understand that God put stories like that in the Old Testament to teach us. To teach us, first of all, that if, if, you're, if you have a broken place, you still get to come to the table. It's really interesting that God didn't heal him. But I think the picture in the Old Testament is saying, even in your brokenness, come to the table. Get onto the table. You're a king's son. And we're, you'll get healed up at the table. And we have to understand that it's covenant that's invited us to the table. It's covenant that's keeping you at the table. And it's covenant that will put you at the table forever. And it's just like David. He's saying, hey, hey, Tom, you're going to sit at my table forever because of the covenant I cut with your big brother, Jesus. See, that's what gets us at the table. So what happens at the table? Ugh. What happens at the table? Well, we got to eat. You got to eat. You got to enjoy the harvest. You got to enjoy what he's done in your life. You got to enjoy the fruit of the kingdom. You got to enjoy it. It's really interesting that in Isaiah, I think it's 61 or maybe 63, it talks about God says, No longer will people eat the fruit of your harvest. But you will have a table that is set and you will drink the new wine and you will drink, you will eat the new grain. You will have the harvest that I have put in you. No more will your enemy eat of it. So the goal of harvest is to be eaten. The goal of what God is doing in your life is for it to make you something on the inside. See, what you eat, you become. 
When you eat healthy, you feel healthy. Clint and I were talking about this this morning. When you eat a bunch of junk food, you feel sluggish. You become what you eat. So interesting that in the Old Testament, that's why God's saying, hey, don't eat these things that I've called unclean because it will make you unclean. He's trying to show them something. What you eat on will determine what you become. What table are you sitting at? Are you sitting at the table of the world? Eating? Listen, in this season, I have seen more garbage eaten. More garbage of what the enemy's doing and taking it in like truth. More garbage, and I'm telling you, we got to get at the king's table and put some earmuffs on. Put some earmuffs on and say, wait a minute, I'm sitting at the king's table and I'm going to eat of the harvest of the kingdom. And I don't have all the answers for what's going on, but what I do know is when I focus on the kingdom, I realize, hey, our nation's going to be okay. When I focus on the kingdom and harvest, I'm just telling, hey, it doesn't matter who the enemy, what the enemy does, it doesn't matter. Because the church is alive right now. Church is praying, and they, but they've got to get to the table, or they'll eat at the wrong table. So what are we eating of there? Well, it's an interesting thing. Turn with me to Psalms 22. I'm actually going to read this out of the message. So it's going to look really different than your version. Because I want you to understand that we're made to eat. We're made to partake of what God is doing. The harvest of righteousness. The harvest of salvation. The harvest of being full of the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to eat on those daily. That's why I said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. There's an eating in the kingdom that has to take place. And y'all know this. I've talked about it a lot. that, That the answer to prayer is better than prayer. The answer to prayer is better than prayer. Because it doesn't say prayer will make your joy complete. It says answered prayer will make your joy complete. What's he saying? When you eat, when you actually get to eat of the fruit of what you've worked for, it's greater than the work. And he's trying to teach us to be a people to move out of law and earning and, and actually participate and enjoy the kingdom of God. Instead of know about it. And this is what I believe is supposed to happen at the, at the table. It says... And I'll do what I promised right here in front of the God worshipers. Down and outers sit at God's table and eat their fill. Everyone on the hunt for God is here, praising Him, living it up from head to toe. Don't ever quit. Man, I think that Peterson had it right when he got to this verse. He said everyone in the kingdom has a seat at the table, but they've got to eat until they're satisfied. That's what it says in the NIV. You gotta get in there and begin to, and you say, you see, you're using so many metaphors. Let me break it down. You gotta get in with God, sit at the table, and let Him begin to show you what it looks like to be sustained in Him. What it looks like to take all He's done in your life, and maybe everything else is coming apart, but you get right in there and you begin to eat of it. All of a sudden, it begins to become who you are. It begins to satisfy. Listen, the, the reason the world is still going, I mean, the church is still going after the things of the world is they're not sitting at the table. So they're treating kingdom things as moments instead of the very thing that's supposed to satisfy you. It's, they're treating it as like, oh, that was a good moment. And God said, no, it's not a moment. If you eat of it today, it'll be daily bread. And it's interesting that Jesus said, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And one of the lines is, give us today our daily bread. Why? There is bread in the kingdom that will sustain you. you got to eat it. Not just smell it. Not know it's at the bakery. you got to eat it. 
You got to take it in and ingest it. I'll never forget when Timothy was like 14 years old, we had him take the offering. I mean, the communion. And I'm like, he's going to get up and be like, this is the blood for our bodies. You know, I thought it was just going to be really cute. And he drops a bomb. He says, we're about to take in the body of Christ because what we eat, we become. Chris goes, whoa! I'll never forget that. Why? Because if we eat the fruit of the kingdom, it will begin to become the very core of who we are. And God is saying, I need you to eat at the table, not just look at it. Not just observe it and say, look at all the things of the kingdom. It's so great. I know people that are in love with the kingdom, but they don't know anything about it. That was the shot fired, right? Why? Because I, I'm so, I believe this, that we gotta have a generation that doesn't want to play games. They want to have fun. Second thing that happens is I believe this, you get strengthened and you find your internal purpose at the table. First of all, just through identity, I'm allowed to be here. Oh, wait a minute. That means I'm a prince. That means I'm the DNA of dad, the king, and I'm allowed to be here. But the second thing is so interesting, isn't it? Interesting that in Luke 22, when Jesus is talking to the disciples, He not only tells them they're coming to the table, but He tells them their eternal destiny. He says, and you're going to sit on the thrones and judge the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, before you go all end times on me, can we just enjoy what the Scripture really says here? He's talking to twelve men in a room. And He's telling them, when you get at the table you're going to recognize your eternal purpose. When you get at the table, God's going to tell you what you will do for all eternity. When you get at the table, you're going to recognize that the picture that you have of God, His kingdom, and what He's doing on earth is too small, and He's going to make it eternal. And he's saying, i got to get you to the table. See, that they were still thinking that there was a natural kingdom coming on earth. <laughs> And and we get there again, we're like, oh, we got to figure out how God's going to do it, and and He's got to use this and this format. And He says, no, I don't. I've got a kingdom. And when you sit at the table, all of a sudden, eternal purpose gets a whole lot bigger than an election. It gets a whole lot bigger than your dumpy day. It gets a whole lot bigger than your angry coworker. It gets a whole lot, you sit at the table, all of a sudden, like, I got eternal purpose. And it doesn't just mean what you're doing. It just means you get the picture of what God is doing. Purpose is, first of all, based on what God is doing, not what you're doing. I believe that Isaiah stumbled into his purpose. He heard what God was doing, and God then said, who will go do that? And Isaiah raised his hand in the corner. Why? Because he got out of the kids' table and got into the throne room. God said, man, I want to do all these things. Who will go for me? And Isaiah said, I will. And I believe that that's what happens. You start sitting at the table, and the king starts saying, man... I got this heart for media. I've got this heart for CEOs. I've got this heart for this. Clint, will you go for me? Yeah. I've got this heart for people. I've got this heart to see people radically experience my love. Who will go for me? See, people are like, man, I've got to get my five-fold ministry figured out and all these things. I'm telling you, that's all backwards. You've got to get at the table. Catch the heart of God. If you're five-fold, that'll all work out. If, if you need to know what your gift mix is, God will tell you after you get at the table. Listen to what He says to the disciples. I don't know if I mark this one. The message is a little tricky because it doesn't have Scripture verses. It says, I, Now I confer on you the royal authority my Father conferred on me, so you can eat it, drink at my table, 
in the kingdom. And listen to what Peterson says. He says, and be strengthened as you take up responsibilities among the congregation of God's people. See, there's a strengthening that happens when you sit at God's table. Why? Because you're eating. How many of you have ever fasted in here? I don't know how many years ago this was. Probably 20 years ago. Our church, God bless them, called like a 14-day fast. And we were young and on staff, and they told us we will be doing it. You know, and you're like, well, I work full time working for this guy over here. I don't know if I can. They need it's food, it's water only. And I'm like, all right. I was pretty stubborn. I was like, I can do that. So we're working, you know, like 50 hours a week laying tile, and I'm I'm fasting. Well, four or five days, I did all right. Then the weekend came, and we did the weekend, and all I could think was Mountain Dew and tacos. You know, that's all I could think. There was no spiritual. Like, it wasn't like, oh, and angels came and ministered to me. All I could see was Mountain Dew and tacos for like hours. And why? Because I knew Monday was coming, and Monday I always had Mountain Dew and tacos to get ready for the week. And then that didn't happen. Why? Because I'm still fasting. About day 10, I'm like laying on the floor trying to grout, and I'm like, God, what's going on? And he said, You're, you don't have any energy. I'm like, really? And he goes, because you're... First of all, you're only obeying. You're not doing it because I told you to. Now, uh, God always speaks about you first. Right? He didn't blame it on anyone else. He's like, you've had a bad attitude about this. And then he says, get up and eat. Literally, he told me, get up and eat. It's not disobedience. He goes, because you're going to honor this man and work hard and you need to go get some food so you'll be strong. And then he said, just stop watching ESPN. It'll do the same thing. I'm like, ESPN? I like ESPN. He's like, I know. But I'm trying to make you strong and I need you to eat. And that's what happened at the table with the disciples. He said, you'll be strengthened as you take on the responsibility of the congregation of God. I've got a really another awesome one about thankfulness, but you're all going to do that this week, so we're going to skip that one. Right? Going to be thankful? Yep. All right, last one. Who's at our table? Who's at the table? First of all, all the other sons and daughters of the king. But in... In Psalms 128.3, man, he says, this is so good. He says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. That's a good word. That just means full of fruit and hot. <laughs> and then your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Who's at your table? First of all, your natural children are at your table. The covenant keeping, if you will recognize the authority you have, you get to bring your kids to the table. Now, they get to choose whether they stay there or not, but you get to bring them there. I tell you, if you bring them there properly, they'll never leave the table. You bring them there and show them, this is the king. He makes this feast. Everything here is because of him. Everything here, everything good is because of him. Look at the king. Fix your eyes on the king. Oh, enjoy the food. Oh, by the way, have fun. Most of them leave the table because it's not fun. Because we've forgotten that we tell them you have to earn your seat at the table. It's weird how we'll receive grace and then we put, we put works on our kids to get to the table. You gotta get your kids to the table. Show them the king. Show them who's there. And they'll be like olive branches. To the world. 
I believe he calls them olive branches because you see, you say they're going to be like olive branches sticking out to the world and saying, take hold of this and you'll have peace. Take hold of this and you'll be alive. Take hold of this because I've come from the courts of God. So your children get there. Who else gets to come? Your spiritual children. They sit at your table. That's your harvest. The people that God has put in your life for you to mentor. Maybe you led them to the Lord. You're mentoring them. You're discipling them. Maybe even yet to be created. In eternity, they're already sitting at your table. Let that one sink in. Why am I saying that? Because I want to give you a vision that your personal harvest always creates harvest. Who's at the table? Your people. The people you've loved on. If you don't invite them to the table, they won't come. If you don't show them that they deserve to be there, they won't stay. It's your place of honor as a, as a child of the Most High God to say, hey, we got a lot of seats. It's not like mammals, but there's only eight seats. It's unlimited seating for the sons and daughters of God. And there's a check on the plate. Last one. Who else is at the table? Ah, Jesus is at the table. But we're going to go the opposite. Our enemy is at the table. Say, what? Thought he wasn't allowed to be there. Says Psalms 23.5 says, You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's really interesting. I'm going to stop. I'm going to read you a quote from Bill Johnson. If you don't like him, shame on you. Bill wrote this. We were listening to him talk a few weeks ago. He says, The Father doesn't move us out of the sight of our enemy so that the enemy has to watch the work of the Father in our life. If we focus on the enemy being there, we won't feast. I think we've created a really interesting dynamic where we think that the enemy is so powerful that he can mess up the feast. The enemy's all around us. He hates God's plan. He hates you. He hates the salvation in your life. He hates your line. He hates your children. He hates your grandchildren. He hates the unborn that have come out of you that are going to be part of the kingdom. He's hated the plan of God forever. That's what got him booted out. But he still gets to come to the table. Why? Because shame is his portion. And God says, I'm not going to kick you out enough that you don't know what's going on. I'm going to make you sit at the table and watch them eat. I'm going to make you sit at the table and they're not even going to give you a second of their time because they'll be so fixed in on me. And when they look over at you, they're like, you're missing out. Why? Because he also had a seat at the table. An honored seat that he rejected. And God said, now I'm going to put him at the table. And the problem is, I believe this, in the last hundred years of the church, the church has been so fixated that the enemy is at the table, they forgot to feast. They're like, there's an enemy at our table. He's not allowed to be here. And God says, He's allowed to watch you succeed. He's allowed to watch you enjoy me. He's allowed to watch the harvest in your life. He has to sit around me. Man, remember when that guy was in the bar and now he's leading hundreds of people to the Lord. He has to, he has to cognitively think about that and like, man, we really messed up. 
I'm trying to make this real for you. We read Psalms 23 and we quote it like it's a funeral sermon. And God's saying, no, your enemy is at the table watching you feast. He doesn't want us to focus on it. And he doesn't say taunt him. He doesn't say to taunt the enemy. Why? Because then your focus is on the enemy instead of the king. And he's saying, you're at the table with the greatest being on earth, in heaven, all things created. And God said, I created all those. I'm the greatest. And when you focus in on me, the enemy's terrified. He's full of shame. He's full of despair. How many of you would love the enemy to give up on you because he's like, dang it, messed up again. Why are we tempting him? He keeps overcoming and having fruit. I want you to understand that the enemy is a real battle component, but he's defeated and God has him in our lives to show him the fruit of being in the kingdom of God. He's reminding him every day, you got kicked out. Not spitefully. Why is this so important? Because if we don't understand this, guys, we'll get to the table, we'll see all the goods, and we'll see the enemy there, and we'll focus on him the whole time and not enjoy what God has created for us. Got quiet. Yeah, it's good, right? I'm going to read you one more verse. We're done. Blame it on the balls. They went long. Psalm 78, 19 says this. says, They spoke against God saying, Can God spread a table in the desert? I don't know why, but this struck me when I read it. That I believe this. That if we're not careful, we'll be an unbelieving generation. We'll look all around. We'll see everything going on. And we say, Can God? Put a table in the desert. But like Scott preached last week, what's the role of the desert in our lives? To become springs. The role of the desert in our life is to become springs. Why? Because the kingdom of God is so in you that it just starts overflowing in the land you walk on. The sand, the scorched sand, it says in the Hebrew, that you walk on becomes oases of water and life. But we've been a generation that's been so, can God prepare a table where we're at? I want to tell you, yes, He can. The next two verses, he says, I'm going to show you. I'm going to rain bread from heaven, and I'm going to blow in, we, I'm going to blow in quail from the east. Just to show you, you get everything that you don't think you deserve. Can God put a table in your desert right now? Maybe you don't, you don't know how to overcome it. You just, but I'm telling you, the key is to recognize there's a table. I'm going to sit there. I'm going to ask you all to stand now. It's harvest table time. I asked God, I said, God, how would you like me to finish this? Because I know it's, I mean, every now and then you just know you got a good one. And he said, I need you to open the pocket doors on Mamaw's room and let them all in. See, for me, that's totally personal. But I want you to recognize areas of your life, maybe you don't go to the table. Say, well, I'm at the table. But are you letting every area of your life feast at the table? You're letting places of pain, or you're letting places of hurt, or you're letting lies keep you from eating. But the first thing you got to do is, I'm invited to the table. So I'm going to get super real here for a minute. If there's anyone that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, but you want to, you're like, man, i got to sit at that table. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now. If there's anyone in here. You just say, man, i gotta, I got to get my seat at the table today. So I'm just believing that means that everyone in here is a child of the king and has a place at the table. Now we're going to break the lie that you don't deserve to sit there. So I want you just to close your eyes for a minute. 
I want you to see the Father preparing whatever a feast looks like to you. I'm, I'm pretty cool with tamales and enchiladas too. Man, I love them. I love everything. Give me Ukrainian food. I'll eat that all day long. Whatever that table looks like for you. And I want you to see that God has made a table for you to be sustained at right now. And then here's what He's saying to you. You want a prophetic word to leave here today with? Here it is. Come and eat. Come and eat. Come and eat. Don't look. Don't just smell. Don't talk about it. Don't write a food blog about it. Come and eat. Come and eat. Because I want to sustain you today. So I just bless you, sons and daughters of the King. Just like Mephibosheth, invited to the table, even when you didn't think you had a chance. And like the last verse says in Second Samuel 9, and he ate at the king's table for the rest of his days. So I just bless you with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the altar team to go ahead and come up. If you need prayer for anything at all, we would love to pray for you today. Uh, and Pastor Ray, will you come stand right up here? Nick, are you, you and your mom still here? Wonderful. This is my Ukrainian student who's heading off to New Jersey, so we're going to pray over him today. So Nick, will you and your mom come up to Pastor Ray? Just anybody who wants to pray over uh, Nick and his mom that maybe knows them.